The subject matter of this podcast will address difficult topics, multiple forms of violence, and identity-based discrimination and harassment. We acknowledge that this content may be difficult and have listed specific content warnings in each episode description to help create a positive, safe experience for all listeners. In this country, 31 million crimes, 31 million crimes are reported every year. That is one every second. Out of that, every 24 minutes, there is a murder. Every five minutes, there is a rape. Every two to five minutes, there is a sexual assault. Every nine seconds in this country, a woman is assaulted by someone who told her that he loved her, by someone who told her it was her fault, by someone who tries to tell the rest of us it's none of our business. And I am proud to stand here today with each of you to call that perpetrator a liar. Welcome to the podcast on Crimes Against Women. I'm Maria McMullen. We continue our conversations on DNA and cold cases with Dr. Lawrence Simon. Lawrence Simon has delivered innovative presentations to national and international audiences and every branch of government within law enforcement, social services, medical, and forensic professionals. Before traveling around the country on a full-time basis as a law enforcement training provider, he spent over a decade in challenging forensic settings, interviewing, managing crises, facilitating violent sex offender groups, treating and assessing the most violent and dangerous men in the country, including inmates housed on death row. He has been sought after by forensic and law enforcement professionals to evaluate and analyze complex crimes against persons cases, often intertwined with baffling deviant behaviors. Dr. Simon has been a vital member of major cold case task force assisting investigators on high-profile serial homicides. He is an honorary diplomat of the American Board of Sexology certified as a clinical sexologist and earned his doctorate degree in clinical psychology with a concentration in forensic psychology. He is also the author of well-known books including Murder by Numbers, Perspectives on Serial Sexual Violence, and Mortal Desire, Origins of Sexual Violence. Dr. Simon, welcome back to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It is a pleasure. We are here at the Conference on Crimes Against Women in Dallas. Dr. Simon has had very little sleep, and he's on probably his third speaking engagement this morning, so I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time with me. Um, You and I met a few months ago on the podcast, and we talked about sexual deviant killers. What a lovely topic. It really it, well it's also a well attended topic at this conference. You've sold out two rooms so far, two sessions of that presentation. Um but since the last time that I spoke with you, I learned that you're also doing work with cold cases, specifically with the Cold Case Foundation. Mm-hmm. What is that foundation, and, and what are you doing? And the VDOC Society. Oh, well, now you'll need to tell us about all of those yes. things. Yes. Um, the Cold Case Foundation, uh, what happens is is that uh, entities will um, have a case that has presented some challenges and will um, kick the case, uh, more or less, to the foundation. Mm-hmm. And the foundation has experts from you know different various branches that will... Uh, offer their expertise uh, on that particular case. Um, could be DNA experts, mm-hmm. right, which which we do, you know, which we do have. Uh, it's very similar. I, I say it's almost similar to the VDOC. It's just the West Coast version of the, you know, the VDOC's oh, on the okay. East Coast. Oh, okay. So wait, tell me what VDOC is because I don't know. The VDOC <laughs> 
<laughs> the VDOC is kind of, you know, the best way to explain it, and I'll tell you, I'm going to, you know, with, and I'm, there's like probably 50, 100 people could explain it better than me. That's probably for sure. Okay, but, but you're, the, you're the only one who's here. So. Right, that's true. And, and the dog. And the dog, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, so, so the, the VDOC is, uh, they have experts from around the world mm-hmm. uh, who will look at a case that will glance at the case. Again, a case that presents challenges. These cold cases can be as old as 40, 50 years. Yes. So you can imagine the challenges that they present already because serial killer cases are extraordinarily difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the more difficult things to do is to uh, try to ascertain that there's one person responsible for a series of homicides. That's that's very challenging to do in and of itself. Okay, so these groups have different volunteers that volunteer their time to look at these cases and have and and they're experts in all different areas. So for example, if there's a question on DNA, uh, if there's a question on uh, victimology. Um, if there's a question on nine one one phone calls, uh, you know, coming in that may be suspect. There's someone that's an expert in that. So you could pretty much find an expert in you know these entities that can assist with these cases. And really, what it does is just gives you a better advantage to perhaps maybe solve the case quicker. And it's all. It, here's what it is. It's kind of the mantra operating like this: two heads are better than one. Right. Three heads are better than two. Four heads are better than three. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially if there's expertise in that particular area. For example, I'm not a blood spatter expert. Right. Or and I'm not a DNA expert. So mm-hmm. they're going to have folks there that are going to be able to assist with that. So that VDOC and also Cold Case, Case Foundi- Foundation, um, each of those entities are kind of bringing experts together to help solve cases that have proved very difficult to solve. True. Very, and they're not necessarily taking over the case. They're not doing that. They're not taking over the case. Mm-hmm. Okay, What they're doing is they're assisting the individuals that are working that case. So they're not taking it over. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, DNA evidence, of course, must be a part of some of these cases, at least. And so how does how does the foundation or even the work that you do, how is it influenced by DNA evidence and testing? Well, certainly, you know, I'd like to think, especially nowadays, it's the kit and caboodle. Um, you know, it's the crux. It's, it's what's going to really slam dunk in many different ways the, the case. Um, however, though... You know, not to leave out, I, I also believe in the old-fashioned knocking on doors and interviewing mm-hmm. uh, folks that maybe were interviewed years ago or haven't been interviewed and asking them the questions. I mean, there was a and there was a detective friend of mine, uh, you know, he had uh, gone back on a case 20 years later, and there was a suspect's sister, and he had asked her a specific question and he said to her, when detectives were here before, why didn't you answer the question that was posed to you? And then she says, well, it's the way that it was asked and nobody really asked it like you did. Mm. So we are as good as investigators or detectives or doctors with regards to the questions that you ask. 
Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so when it comes to cold cases, and you had alluded to cases that have been cold for 20, 40 years or longer, um, and mm-hmm. we're seeing lately a lot of those coming back and being solved primarily through either extensive or extensive DNA testing or advances in DNA technology, as well as forensic genetic genealogy specialists that are able to put together. And I think it's, you know, really beyond, uh, it's irrefutable evidence of what family tree these, this DNA or DNA could be from. Mm-hmm. So knowing all of that with these cold cases, what does it really take in addition to DNA to solve a cold case? Like what, what is necessary to make it solvable? Because I know there Good. are still so many, <laughs> yeah. there are still so many waiting answers good good hard work you can't dismiss good hard work but also a lot of luck sometimes is involved too mm-hmm. luck <laughs> and, and but and I know and I, and I know that's sound but it's but it also is the work that you know each individual is doing and when you talk about DNA technology think of it like the cell phone because we are technologically advanced with that mm-hmm. I mean think of the cell phone I think the first case was solved with DNA what was it the 80s I believe. Yeah. Um, but think of it like the first cell phone that came out. Or you remember the car phones, the Motorola's? Yes. Remember those? Yes. Well, this, um, this is going to probably show my age. No, I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. those big jalopies in the uh-huh. car. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, we've advanced now where these things have, you know, I mean, they're, yeah. so think of that. That's like we got mitochondrial DNA. I mean, so we... I mean, we've advanced far enough to where it's very difficult for a killer to get away with killing someone nowadays. It really is difficult. As a matter of fact, back in the day, the 70s and the 80s, which were really considered the golden years Mm -hmm. of serial killing, uh, 10 years these guys would go on, on average. You know, Bundy, the Kempers, Mm -hmm. you know, almost a decade. So nowadays, it's less than two years because of DNA. Right. Um, and so just yeah. fu- uh, interesting aside, yesterday I was listening to a case study about uh, the case of Carla Walker that was solved here in Fort Worth, Texas. And among the suspects in that, that investigation, which went on for about 47 years, was Theodore Bundy. He was li- actually listed as one of the suspects because um, of, I guess, what they have had already identified he was involved in over the years or through the decades. Um, that case was really interested, interesting, and it did hinge and was finally solved through DNA and forensic genetic genealogy. Do, are you familiar with the case I'm talking about, Carla Walker? Um, remind me, because there's oh. so many. You, you understand, there's so many of these cases, and I get discombobulated with na- names. No, I totally, I totally. Now a guy understand. like Bundy is different. I'm gonna, yeah. you know, because he's gained that notoriety. Uh, but yeah, but go on with, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, well, case might ring a bell. Just to say that 17 year old, uh, she was abducted from really the car in the arms of her boyfriend here in Fort Worth back in 1974 by a guy who ended up, uh, raping, strangling, killing her. Uh, and then her body was found in a culvert several days later, and her murder was only just recently solved in the past year. And that mm-hmm. was from 74 
till 2021. Mm-hmm. And the DNA in that case um, was, it was old and they had, it was their last chance with the, the very, uh, you know, deteriorating sample of DNA that they had. Last chance, last test, they were able to get a match. You see what I mean? Yeah. A lot of this timing, you know, works in, into this. And we talk about luck and timing and things, you know, and that plays into it as well. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's, and, and look, a lot of times um, we've always had this, this issue in, in, in law enforcement uh, communication. We've gotten a lot better at it throughout the years. The agencies, you know, uh, um, communicate much better than they used to. Um but that could be one of the issues of how come sometimes these cases go on for so long because of the transfer of information from one department to another. Um, and this is even before the databases in 1974. So imagine you're writing things on napkins, yes. you know, like leads yeah, like on, literally, on, on, yes. on, on napkins. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So it's just, it, it was very difficult. And, and you got to remember, we... I mean, we just didn't see a, a large number, you know, of, of you know back in the day, you know, these things, and really describing on what it really was and what it truly was. The interesting thing about that case of Carla Walker is that um, the Fort Worth Police Department at the time, and this is in '74, went to great lengths to preserve the evidence from the case. Now, unfortunately, they did lose her. Uh, I, I guess her rape kit, mm-hmm. it was misplaced. It was gone. It was missing. Um, but they had the, the clothing and, and, you know, the DNA from the clothing and whatnot. So for the most part, though, they, they went to extremes to preserve the evidence, physical evidence. And um, it actually did work out in the end uh, 47 years later. Which is, which is tremendous. We think about these things. Um, what's done right and what's done wrong. And too many times the focus tends to be on what's being done wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is a classic example of what's done right. And again, which step-by-step led to the case and uh, led to the case being solved. And I look at these cases like puzzles. You remember when you'd go into the store and you'd see a puzzle and you get to see what the design already is? Yes. In these, you don't. Ah. So yeah, what that's happened? A great analogy. Thank you. What 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 is it? If you're missing a piece or two in the puzzle, you're not going to know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a classic example of what Fort Worth did to where that led up to the puzzle being solved, because that was a intricate piece of that puzzle, and that's what DNA is. It's an intricate piece to that puzzle. You know, sometimes you may not need the full puzzle to know what it is. Mm-hmm. You notice it? Like if it's a butterfly, you may be missing maybe five or six pieces, but you could, you know it's a butterfly. That's what the DNA does. The DNA allows you to see what the design of the puzzle already is. Whereas without that DNA... You have to put the puzzle together to find out what it is. Every piece. Literally mm-hmm. every piece. Yeah. Because in the end, you have to put the person there at the crime scene. Right. Whereas, let's say with DNA, you do, but at the same time, that helps you along. You know what the design is. You know what's a butterfly. Does that make sense? 
It, it, it does make sense. And I'm thinking, you know, without and the, I, the I DNA and without some type of physical evidence, it just becomes circumstantial. Right. Which is more difficult to prove. And even if you are convinced of who the the actual offender is, it, without the physical evidence, it, m- it's almost impossible at times to and, prove these cases. And most of the time they know. Most of the time, law enforcement, they know who it is. It's just they have to put them there at the scene. Absolutely. And so um, in learning a little bit about forensic genetic genealogy, I've also heard that they're, I guess it's not admissible in court in some states. Do you know about that? Uh, I'm not sure of the states, no. I think they were talking about it yesterday. Um, there was some question about whether or not it could be used in, uh, presented as evidence. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm not uh, aware of that. So um, when it comes to DNA collection, though, um, I'm curious, uh, are, is everyone who's processed through like a prison system or arrested for a crime or even suspected, or, is their DNA taken uh, T- samples of their DNA taken you know, when they're brought in? That I'm not sure because that's that might be a state-by-state state, mm. uh, type of thing because I'm not 100% on, on, on that. Okay. You know, I can't, yeah, I can't answer that question uh, so, precisely. Forgive me. No, it's <laughs> no, it's all good because you're, um, you're really, I mean, you admittedly, you're not a DNA expert, but I'm asking no. you all these DNA questions, but you are a forensic psychologist. Well, yeah, I have my doctorate in clinical psychology with a concentration in forensic. That is a correct. So yes. how do you then kind of pair that training and experience with the physical evidence when you're working on a case? Well, how does that all fit together for you? Well, what I try to do is when I see, let's say, a crime scene, I'll try to put together in my mind, okay, what the individual, what type of individual it is or uh, what level of anger, perhaps maybe even psychosis maybe going on, maybe involved. I mean, it just depends. It depends. Uh, um, but I've seen so many crime scenes that a lot of times it gets blended together. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean is that uh, I know off the bat if the victim is disrobed, uh She's humiliated or degraded, you know. I and and you're gonna. Then I would most likely know that you're dealing with elements of a criminal sexual sadist. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dealing with someone that has a tremendous amount of anger towards the opposite sex, and it goes even further if there's objects that are inserted inserted in the genital region. That even goes even further. We may, we may hypothesize that this individual may have a defect. I mean, these are things that were just running through, because you asked running through my mind. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it might have a defect, uh, may not be able to perform, and has been brought up on that through the opposite sex, perhaps bullied, made fun of, maybe for a behavioral or a physical defect. It mm-hmm. just depends. Um, so what happens is, and, and it's not, and again, this, there's other aspects that are going on that we didn't, you know, that we didn't talk about, but there's there could be um, the object relations, uh, caretaker role. Uh, you know, I may have hypotheses on that as well. Um, what this individual's could be like. 
um, at a younger age in communications with the opposite sex parent, for example, let's say. Now, these are just things we're hypothesizing, but we're not solving the case by looking at the crime scene. You're not going to solve a case by looking at the crime scene. All you're doing is you're developing hypotheses, you know, what you see. The more you see, the better it is. So then how do you proceed? So you're brought to a crime scene, you look at it, it kind of, you look at it through the lens of a forensic psychologist, and then how would, how do you proceed from there? Well, it's also, it's not just the crime scene, it's autopsy reports, mm-hmm. uh, victimology statements. Uh, there's, uh, I get, when I look at a case, I get just about everything that, you know, I get the interviews, suspect interviews. So, uh, the suspect list. And one of the things I would want more of is the psychosocial history of the suspect, which we don't get, you know, a lot of, you see what I mean? So I, you know, I may have a question later that comes in. The detective may call me and say, one of the suspects I have has this tumultuous history with his mom and his sister, let's say, so I would want to know more specifics of what that relationship is like. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get more information out of that contact. Like, okay, when they were younger, uh, he creeped into the sister's room and may have done some things and things like that. Or, you know, so you find out a lot of things about this individual that you would have never been able to find out from someone that was outside the family. Right. That kind of thing. You know, even that Otis Tool case. The one that we killed Adam Walsh, you know, oh, yes. his family members knew a lot about him. You know, that's that goes back to the old-fashioned knocking on doors, mm-hmm. you know, and finding out more information. So what I would want to know more, looking at it from a psychological perspective, is how this individual, the suspect, was treated and uh, what's his history like, and again, pairing it with the victimology looking at what you have in front of you. This is a progression. It's a progression of violence. This just doesn't happen overnight. You're going to hear things like when they were young, you know, they worked in a slaughterhouse and they didn't just kill the animal. They sexually abused the animal. These are all these red flags that may come about later by asking the question. So what we do is looking at the case, the crime scene gives us a platform on what to work with to where I'm already thinking in my mind how the investigator is going to interview the suspect. And what I mean by that is, let's say that you have uh, you have a case of 14 or 15 women that are strewn nude, that are strangled, and that are humiliated, that are degraded. And coming across all kinds of serial killers, you know, They've buried their victims. Mm-hmm. Some have gone back and they've put a cross and they've prayed for forgiveness. All these kinds of things. So, you know, it's a, there's a different predator within the predator. Absolutely. You know, so so as it, you know, I will talk to the investigator and say, you know, there's there may be a roadmap. If A happens, maybe we may have to go to B or B we may have to go to C. But one of the things is that. You know, starting off the interview by naming names would not be something that I would do because that's personalizing that, and you you're you're likely to lose the suspect because the suspect you have to look at the behavior. All behavior is purposeful, so the behavior in front of you 
is. I'm smiling. I'm, well, I'm smiling because you said that uh, the last time we spoke, and it stayed with me. <laughs> um, it's that's also I think you can use that as a parent as well when you're talking to your children. All behavior is purposeful. Um, so what is <laughs> what do you think, in your opinion, in your experience, is on the horizon for investigation of some of these cold cases, or even you know cases of serial killers? Um, are there new developments in technology or investigation we should know about? I think there's new developments every day. Mm-hmm. And some that I don't know about, some that none of us really know about. <laughs> there's some quite, new yeah, you don't know about that, them. Yeah, don't, of course, yeah. No, and and our technology, it's like, again, like the cell phone. I mean, what, I have an i9 or it's going to be an i11, you know, or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. and actually, I have the and droid. I, yeah. I was going to say the nine's pretty old, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have the droid, okay. so, yeah, so I don't even have the iPhone, but... But so this changes, I mean, it changes all the time. Is there, so, is there anything specific you can tell us that's come out recently that investigators might be interested to learn about? Well, the forensic genealogy, I mean, mm-hmm. what's exciting about that is that the Golden State Killer. Yes. You know, I mean, that, and, and so that has kind of started that trend mm-hmm. towards that because it works. It's working. You see? So I think them improving the technologies on that, and I... and. You know, once in a while, the good thing when you do these conferences, but I haven't really done that many recently because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I would see these vendors. You know, they have all these vendors, and they have right. you know, like even here, they probably have this this newer technology that they have each year. And even here at the conference on crimes against women, if you notice, go to some of these kiosks. Like last year, the net, the year before, or two mm-hmm. years ago, they didn't they didn't have that. You're like, okay, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of these. Things kind of do shape, take well, shape overnight. One of the things, we, we don't have it here this year at the conference, but I think it will be here next year, is this uh, facial recognition technology that's been enhanced beyond you- imagination of um, being able to take someone's baby picture and the facial structure of a person typically doesn't change that much over time. And so you can take uh, like an infant photo and put it into this database that captures images of faces in all different public places through cameras and um, still be able to find the face of an adult in a crowd just based on the infant photo. Well, you know, when you, when you turn on the news, and you, and you know this too, when you turn on the news and a crime has happened, a violent crime, they have cameras, it seems, almost on every corner. Right, that you know you're I mean? not even aware you're of. You're not even, yeah, exactly. So what that facial recognition would be tremendous and probably still be, being utilized mm-hmm. is, is being able to capture who this person is that did it, that committed that, yes. that crime. Um, so not just finding the victims of trafficking, but also finding the, the perpetrators. Sure. Yeah. sure. Can you give us any resources for people who want to follow up on some of the things that you mentioned in this conversation, like forensic psychology, good resource for that, or um, investigation of sexual deviant killers and serial killers, which is really the heart of the work that you do? Well, you know, and the sexual deviant killer terminology, and we went over that in our last podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could research under... Sexual deviant killers, lust murder, erotophonophiliac. Remember that? I one? do remember, remember that, that one. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. one. That one has also that, stayed. <laughs> one, and and I mean, there's plenty of research that's being that's being done mm-hmm. on this population. Pick your poison. I mean, there's 
childhood histories, mm-hmm. uh, methods of homicides. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's, heck, there's even there's things out there to assess risk. There's a, you know, I did a podcast. I think it was a other day, a domestic, uh, domestic related violence. And there's risk assessments out there to be able to assess where the perpetrator is on a scale, low risk, medium risk, high risk, imminent risk. So, and same when I talked about my class today with animal cruelty cases, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's assessments tools out there to find out, you know, where the person is at on a level of risk. Um, you know, but as far as researching uh, this program or, or, you know, the thing about psychology is we don't have a home. We're, we're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're looking at Yeah, we're, we're homeless. We, we, we basically invade everybody else's home. Mm-hmm. So we're in the hospitals, law enforcement, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you have a private practice, I mean, that's, you know, certainly uh, different. You're not necessarily invading anybody's home. But for the most part, you know, we're in the prisons, uh, court, right? So right. expert testimony. So these things, child custody evaluations, and, and you know, you're so, everywhere. Right, we're everywhere. Yeah, right. we're everywhere. We're so we're invading. We, we, as far as having our own home, you know, yeah. I mean, we there's private. You practice, always but. have a home at the conference on crimes against women, <laughs> but there's also your website, which is remind me your website. It's ljsintl.com. Uh, LJS Training and Consulting Group is the name, mm-hmm. and it's just me. I mean, you know, I mean, I yeah, just you and Layla. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> where is that guy? Yeah, yeah, sleeping. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And 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 you know, um, I I do I do a lot of case consults, obviously, with those organizations. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything rogue anymore. Um, I, rogue. I, yeah, I used to do this on my own. I would I would <laughs> yeah I would uh, I would I would be asked to consult on a case and let's say that the suspect is already in prison and I would look at ways on how we can strategize on how we could get that maybe individual to talk mm-hmm. because that he may clam up with law enforcement. I have several of those types case those cases. Oh, interesting. Yeah, to where but you're not doing that type of work anymore. No, not, not really. I'll consult for uh, on it, um, but uh-huh. I usually kick it up to the Vidoc Society or the Cold Case Foundation um, just because I do believe there's a better chance in solving those those cases rather than just little, 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 little bitty old me and Layla, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So no more going rogue by Lawrence Simon. No, <laughs> no. But I but I do do, I do consults. and. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it at the Conference on Crimes Against Women. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for talking with me today. That was awesome as usual. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe. To learn more about the Conference on Crimes Against Women, visit conferencecaw.org or find us on social media at National CCAW.